This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we look into the NBA restart, a very interesting second test at the MCG, the greatest face mask in the history of the NFL, we find out how Yuri Tolochko's Christmas was, and just how bad can the BBL umpiring get. Let's do it. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, we'll call your attention. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, you could say we actually have some breaking news. <laughs> uh, so, yes, the bloody hell this week. Unfortunately, we have to head back to Kazakhstan and our good friends, bodybuilder Yuri Tolochko and his wife and real-life sex doll Margot. Seems that, unfortunately, Yuri and Margot spent Christmas apart. Oh, Stewie, so did Yuri not get his white Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 maybe not the one he was hoping for, no. <laughs> oh, dear. So, no, Margot was instead in another Kazakh city with another man. Oh, scandal. Yeah, hopefully he's fixing her because Yuri managed to break her. <laughs> and thus breaking news. Thus <laughs> breaking news indeed. <laughs> oh, dear. There's no real information yet on how she was broken, so you can be as juvenile as you want with that. But it kind of brings new meaning to the phrase, he broke her in two. So, Stewie, perhaps he needed to make a sex tape of sorts, a sticky tape. <laughs> oh, it just keeps giving me some. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yes, in recent times, Margot's Instagram presence has really diminished as she's been receiving a lot of attention on there, presumably from other men who prefer dolls to real women. <laughs> but I assume she's also pretty good at taking a photo due largely to her ability to stay still while she's being <laughs> photographed, I guess. But the good news is Yuri and Margot are in the market for a new house in Nur Sultan. So maybe something with decent cupboard space for all of her accessories, like her pump and varnish and wipes and all that sort of stuff. So somewhere somewhere with rounded edges, not too many sharp. Rounded edges are a must. So for ruining your honeymoon by pumping too hard, all I can say is Yashkamash, bloody hell. Bloody hell. Well, Stewie, that was definitely worth the uh, temporary loss in transmission there. But as we normally do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was actually an incredible gallery of pictures of cricket being played in some unbelievable places. It initially caught my attention because I saw the preview picture as a fully kitted up guy taking guard in knee deep seawater with a wicket keeper and almost a leg gully in position and had a cruise ship in the background. <laughs> But as I went through them, you have things like the annual cricket on ice in San Moritz in Switzerland. There's a game being played on Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, Christmas fixture played 600 metres below ground in the Lake Districts of the UK. And one of the most random pictures I've ever seen, a Maasai warrior in traditional Maasai gear wearing pads and gloves playing a lofted cover drive. Beautiful. Like the stumps are a little bit crooked and there's a pretty decent flock of sheep down at fine leg, but absolutely (laughs) brilliant to see. It's, it's just, yeah, it's so great to see how inclusive the game of cricket really can be. And one other quick thing, a bit of a rough start to the season for the Golden State Warriors, but did you see the video footage of Steph Curry hitting 105 straight corner threes after practice the other day? I can't say that I did, but that's a very impressive feat, that's for sure. It was about a five-minute video, and I watched the whole thing just counting because it's like, surely not. But yeah, he's, uh, he's absolutely smashed this out. And I did some research. It actually took the Golden State Warriors until the middle of the third season of three-pointers being a thing they registered their 105th three-pointer. Wow. Curry hits that many in, in five minutes. Yeah. In fact, it actually took until a 91-92 season for any Warrior to hit more than 100 threes in a single season, which was Tim Hardaway. 
the guy's absolutely nuts, honestly. So, yeah, it, that, that's it, what caught my attention. It actually reminds me of that time when we had Wildcat season tickets and the bloke in front of us was counting how many Todd Lichty hit in a row. And I think he got up to something like 30 and then he missed one and then he rattled off another 15 or something. Yeah, multiply that by three and a half. Yeah, that's... crazy. Yeah. It'd be hard to hit 105 layups in a row. You could easily miss one by accident. Oh, easy. Good stuff. So that, but that's what caught my attention. How about yourself, Knife? Well, equally as impressive a feat, it was Alvin Kamara's incredible six touchdown runs became just the second player to ever have six rushing touchdowns in the New Orleans Saints 52-33 to win over the Minnesota Vikings. And what's more, he wasn't on the field for a goal line drive that eventuated in a Taysom Hill touchdown, so he very, very easily could have had seven. There have been some high-scoring games in the NFL this season. Oh, it's getting really exciting heading into the playoffs now. There's been some really exciting games the last couple of weeks. And I was feeling really good about my Colts when I went to bed at halftime against Pittsburgh. But then the Steelers came back. So they nearly, after going, I think, their first 11 on the trot, they nearly dropped four in a row. But no, it was only three in a row because they did beat my Colts. I should have stayed up. I probably jinxed them by going to bed. You probably did. And geez, how about that uh, that touchdown throw that Ryan Fitzpatrick had the other day? Oh, the precision, absolutely remarkable with his head nearly pulled off. Yeah, for anyone who didn't see that, he, he basically was copying a face mask. So one of the defenders had grabbed the grill at the front of his helmet and basically pulled his head to the side. And he still managed to throw what would have been, what, I don't know, 35, 40-yard pass for a, for a first down, which ended up resulting in a game-winning field goal. Well, that's what made it so impressive. It would have been bloody impressive if it had been any stage of the game. But the fact it was basically the penultimate play that led to a one-point victory made it even more stunning. Yeah. Fitz magic, possibly the most magical thing he's ever done. Well, yeah, it was certainly magical, that's for sure. I did uh, check Fryzy's Twitter account, but unfortunately he didn't post about it. Maybe I should send it to him. <laughs> you probably should, actually. He's probably forgotten about it. <laughs> What'd you miss, mate? Well, I mean, the first thing, as you know, was the uh, the goal from Patrick Bamford in that 1-0 win for Leeds over Burnley. We uh, <laughs> we caught up at, at one of the local pubs and had a, a, a decent night there watching the uh, the football there and having a couple of pints. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, I rocked up about seven minutes into the game and Bamford had already slotted through the winner. So that was, yeah, a little bit disappointing, but... You know, these things happen in, in the world of soccer. So a great night though, wasn't it? Down at the Woodvale Tavern there. Apparently it's the biggest supporters club in Australia for Leeds United. So that was great fun. Oh, brilliant fun. Absolutely fantastic. So they even took a photo of everyone in, in attendance there, unfortunately, just before we got there, um, to send to the local rag in, in England as well. So it's uh okay. it's yeah, while they're all, I guess, hold up under COVID restrictions, they can vicariously live through our pub enjoyment definitely definitely so yeah that was one thing i missed and unfortunately i also missed the absolute insanity of the melbourne stars and sydney Sixers game because i was keeping an eye on the rangers and hibs game in the spfl another three points to rangers you beauty <laughs> but uh yeah luckily a good friend of mine from sydney was keeping me in the loop about how crazy a finish it was so i did go back and watch the highlights on that and we'll talk about that one shortly yeah, we should. Sure What'd you will. miss, mate? Well, aside from uh, the second half of the Colts Steelers, as I mentioned, I, I missed a lot of the NBA. I saw highlights here and there. I watched bits and pieces, including uh, Kawhi Leonard copping some friendly fire. But given the margins, I think it was the second biggest margin for Christmas Day games of all time. Across the five games, it was something like 26 points. So. I wasn't in that much of a mood to watch any of them after being so apt for them. Yeah, you sent us a, a friend of ours and myself a message on Messenger saying, that you, which one do I watch? And we just said, none of them, they're crap. So 
I remember sending you that. That was, that yeah. was a shocking, yeah. shocking day. It really was, wasn't it? I, I avoided the results. So after the family uh, Boxing Day celebrations, yeah, I, I came up and asked you blokes which which one to recommend because I only had limited viewing time. But uh, yeah, in the end, I just kind of grazed around a few of the games. And the NBA minis are proving to be very good good little watches too. Yeah, so, they are good. Yeah, are good. good to get through a game in half an hour. News roundup, Shree? Yeah, look, unfortunately, we have to start off with another tragic passing. It uh, just seems to be the norm for this year. But eight-time NBA champion as a player and four-time champion as a coach, Casey Jones, has passed away at the age of 88. My first knowledge of Jones was as a nine-year-old collecting the 1990-91 NBA hoop set. And that was when he was coaching the Seattle Supersonics. So in the following years, I learned about his exploits as a pretty serviceable role player for the Celtics. And then as a coach, played nine seasons, all with the Celtics, and has eight rings, which sees him equal third all-time with John Havlicek, Tom Sanders, and another Celtic we lost last month in Tommy Heinsohn. He wasn't much of an offensive player, but one of the best defenders of his era. He was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1989. And as a coach, he's got a career 674 winning record and is in the top 10 in playoff wins. So, And he was also an assistant coach on the Lakers team that won 33 straight. So he's had a, oh. a really, really great career in, in the NBA as a player and a coach. So, yeah, look, 88's a, a very, very good knock, but um, obviously still sad to see him go. I remember having his card as well, actually. I, I can't remember which set, if it was uh, Fleer or, or Hoops, but yeah, yeah. May you rest in peace. Indeed. Got some tennis news. Yeah, the Australian Open is obviously not too far away. Jeez, we've had some scorching temperatures here in Perth. Uh, and the scorching temperatures always mean cr- cricket and tennis in Australia. We've had some mixed news from the old favourites. Former world number one and five-time Australian Open runner-up Andy Murray has been given a wild card to the event for 2021. He's probably unlikely to get too far in the tournament, but it's great to see him you know, continuing to play. And, and that's what the wild card's for, I guess, isn't it? To bring in some of those people that might not have qualified otherwise. And that's, of course, when it possibly looked like Murray's career was over. And, and by the way, speaking of which, Roger Federer has officially withdrawn from the Open. And we can't help but feel as though he's gearing towards maybe one last Wimbledon before announcing his retirement from the sport. So uh, possibly the last time we see him in the flesh at the Aussie Open, Stu. Yeah, well, it certainly would have been. But yeah, unfortunately, not to be. And yeah, I'm not looking forward to the day he retires, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, Father Time remains undefeated. And It is true. Yeah, someday Nadal might join him and Djokovic will eventually too. So. You've got some soccer news, Shui. Yeah, a couple of little tidbits. So the Hyundai A-League very quietly started up again overnight. A relatively exciting game. Unfortunately, it ended 0-0, but... Uh, yeah, good to see the the, the football back in, in Australia. Interestingly, though, the Perth Glory don't play their first game until the fourth week of the season for some reason. So that's, uh, that's a bit of an interesting one. I imagine that's just because of COVID quarantines, Stewie. Yeah, I suppose that probably makes sense, actually. But uh, yeah, the bigger news in soccer is the utter stupidity of Neymar with the Paris Saint-Germain forward apparently hosting a week-long party for about 500 people at his luxury beachside mansion near Rio de Janeiro, once again proving that sportsmen don't understand rules. Mm. So to put it into perspective, Brazil has suffered the second largest number of COVID-19-related deaths in the world behind the USA. They've got more than 191,000. And with more than 7.4 million people contracting the virus it, it just shows how ridiculous this idea is. But it's okay. COVID knows he's important, so I guess it'll leave him alone. <coughs> Greg Norman. <coughs> <laughs> oh, it's crazy, isn't it? Seriously. Like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not good. Plenty of time to party, Neymar. Now's not the time. Well, you know what? Ain't no party killed nobody. <laughs> oh, yes. Mm. yes. Speaking of people doing the wrong thing, Nath. 
Yes, well, NRL star Brent Naden is free to return to training in the new year after serving a one-month ban for cocaine use. It was actually only announced on Tuesday, but was backdated after the Penrith Centre was suspended at the start of December. So that one kind of managed to slip under the radar a little bit. Yeah, party drug, I guess, which is why the suspension wasn't too long rather than a performance-enhancing drug. But there is a school of thought that party drugs can be performance-enhancing. So... The thing I found interesting about this was obviously the story's doing the rounds and the headline reads NRL star cops one month cocaine ban. I'm sure he won't mind taking a month off it. (laughs) Yes. Well, as we said last week uh, or the week before, semantics are sometimes very important. Hmm, They certainly, they certainly are. And I guess just one little thing to round off the news update in a score at hand, the Indianapolis cult has won the COVID cup, defeating Nuke Jukum 173.36 to 125.58. Nate, do you want to explain that to people who've got no idea what I'm talking about? (laughs) Thank you for indulging my uh, fantasy team, Stewie, so that I didn't have to toot my own horn there. Yes, that's right. My, after starting my competition one and three, I won my last nine games in a row to finish 10 and three and beat the eventual top of the ladder. He went 11 and two, so he won one more game than me, but I won the one that mattered. So Stewie, I gotta say, I, I wasn't holding my breath after the first game. So I stayed up to ridiculously late hour to watch most of the Tampa Bay Detroit game in which the Bucks beat the Lions 47-7. And in that game, Mike Evans had 182 yards and two touchdowns. And I thought, geez, it's gonna be an uphill battle from here. But no, I got over the line by nearly 50 points. And that was with Derek Henry, my first pick, only having 98 rushing yards. Oh, that's pretty good. But for your first pick, you want a little bit more production. But I had massive games out of Devontae Adams and Stefan Diggs. They both had 140-odd yards and three touchdowns each. Nelson Aguilar had 155 yards and a touchdown too. So typical that I would win in the year. We didn't have any money riding on it because we were worried that there might've been complications with COVID. But hey, a win's a win and I'm happy. And I've improved every year in that competition, starting from just missing the playoffs to losing a tie break to losing in the final to now winning the final. So pretty happy with that. It's not pretending you're happy. You are salty as fuck right now. <laughs> well, I said it with money. <laughs> no, nah, the win's important. The win's important. I like a win. Oh, dear. Come on, you blokes. You know more than just sport. Now, another appropriately themed Just Not Cricket this week, Stewie, I, I found this one on, uh, well, it's Kidspot. Now, that's not a page I normally look at, but they do uh, have Kidspot news on news.com.au. And I, I saw this one. And gee, can't families be brutal sometimes come Christmas time? So there's this story from England. A bloke named Adam in the UK shared a text conversation between his mother and, and himself. And I'll read it verbatim. Writing your Christmas card. Shall I put just Adam or do you have a boyfriend yet? No, no boyfriend. You can just put my name on it. Okay, will do. Do you think it's your personality or your looks? Jesus Christ, mum, it's Christmas. Well, your brothers and sisters have partners. Oh. X, <laughs> like that X, like the little kiss <laughs> oh, helps. That makes up for it, yeah. yeah. Jesus, mum, mum's a savage. They can be, can't they? So to Adam's mum, I say... It's just not cricket. Now, as we'll do many times this summer, Stewie, we move from just not cricket to cricket. The second test is over and maybe a result. Well, certainly Michael Vaughan didn't expect. The Indians had a win. Yeah, look, probably not a result that a lot of people saw coming, but yeah, full credit to the Indians. They absolutely played out of their skins. They outplayed Australia in every facet of the game. And yeah, good to see that we've got ourselves a a live third coming up. With four new players from the first test, no doubt, and even two debutantes too. 
And you really can judge a team by how they respond to a failure. And obviously, it's not a week since they had that all-out 36. And so this was the quote that Virat Kohli had after that match. I don't think it's alarming, and we can very well sit here and make a mountain out of a molehill. It's basically looking at things in the right perspective. Well, they stayed very calm because they won comfortably, didn't they? Well, actually, I want to bring up a quote of yours from last week, funnily enough, Nate. It looks like it could be a long series for India, but there's a reason they play the games. <laughs> yes, my, one of my favourites. They don't play games on paper. You do have to go out there and compete and perform, don't you? And the Aussies aren't performing. Jeez, we haven't passed 200 this series, which is very alarming. It certainly is. I mean, obviously, we've got to start off with the coin toss. Yeah. Winning that one is a is a really, really great one to win. I mean, I said in the first one that I didn't think it was a an amazing toss to, to win or lose, but this one I thought was quite a big one. But I said right from the start, and it's, I know it's easy for people to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the result, obviously, but I did not like the decision to bat on that track. I would have loved to have had a bowl first. There was a little bit of greenery on there. It was likely to move around a bit early, and I would love to have seen Stark, Cummins, and Hazelwood unleashed on that. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I know that in the past we've kind of said, think about bowling, but then bat anyway. And so we are contradicting ourselves a little. But why wouldn't you put a team back under pressure so recently after bowling them all out for 36? I would have done the same thing. I would have sent them in and kept the pressure on their batting side, especially with Shubman Gill, a debutante at the top there. But he played very well, didn't he? Well, he did. And and the thing is, though, like the, the complete opposite of that, have a think about it and then obviously have a, have a bowl, is that there's the other sort of side of the coin where you can't win a test on the first day, but you can lose it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I must admit, having someone like Gil, who, yeah, a full credit to him, I thought he he batted beautifully. It, it certainly wasn't without chances. There were certainly a number of opportunities for us to, to get him out deeply. But once he, he sort of dug his heels in and started counter-punching, he, he batted really well in the first and the second innings and certainly gave them a lot more than Prithvi Shaw gave them as well. And batted much more positively and aggressively than the Aussies did, I thought. It was very uncharacteristic of us. It's funny when David Warner's there how the whole tone can change. Yeah, geez. And that was very much noted. I think Ricky Ponting uh, went out, came out and said that and, and said, look, this is not traditional Australian batting. We're not looking to, to be hitting the boundaries or rotating the strike, that sort of stuff. We, we very much went into our shells. If you looked at the strike rates, it was absolutely hideous for uh, for most of the test from both innings, really. And, mm. you know, there, there were some small exceptions to that rule, but definitely not an Australian batting performance, that's for sure. And, Unfortunately, it does start from the top. We've obviously got to talk about the the elephant in the room, which is Joe Burns. Funnily enough, on this day six years ago, I posted on Facebook, well, I think the Joe Burns experiment is over. And you said far too early to call that. How yeah, about now, Nate? Yeah, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I've never been a big fan of his or Travis Head, um, who we'll talk about in a sec as well. Uh, so I must have been very diplomatic. Maybe that was only after one test or something and, and I was saying you were jumping the gun a little bit. But yeah, no, I wasn't a big fan of his... He's a lovely guy, Joe Burns, and he's pretty good in the slips. But uh, I just, yeah, he just hasn't been up to it uh, lately, has he? And you, you can't help but wonder if his career's on life support, is certainly in the national team. Well, I mean, the thing is, with David Warner and Will Pukowski pretty much being declared fit, you can't imagine that there's a spot in, in the test side for him now. I mean, I said last week that I didn't count that 51 he made in the second innings because there was no pressure. When there has been pressure on him, he's made eight, a duck, and four. And speaking of that 51, he's the only Aussie to have had a 50 in this series so far. This match was the first time since 1988 that no Aussie had a 50 
in a home test. So that's pretty woeful there. It is incredibly woeful. Yeah, just uh, not enough guys playing the right shots, not enough guys playing positively enough. There was, yeah, far too much scratching outside of off stump. And it, it looks like India came up with some really, really good plans. You know, if you're looking at guys like Smith and, and Labashane, they've come up with these great leg side plans, bowling at leg stump and, and putting in these leg slips and leg gullies. Uh, you know, Smith was very unlucky with uh, with one of them just clipping the top of the uh, the, the bale on leg Exposing stump. Exposing his leg, yeah. Yep. But this is this is a plan that they've come up with and it seems to work really well. I mean, if you look at Steve Smith, he's only made 10 runs across four innings at an average of 2.5. And that's the thing. When, when you don't have Warner and Smith firing, in this case, Warner not at all, it really puts so much pressure on the rest of the team. And, and we do rely on them too much. And these sort of efforts show how much we do rely on them. But there's some really lazy shots and some silly shots too. We're not good at batting time. You've got to be patient. Wade in the first innings, I thought, had a bit of a brain explosion and gave his wicket away. Travis Head, I thought, played a really lazy shot with no footwork and spooned one up. So, yeah, it's it's this horrible trend that I dare say dates back as far as the 2013 Ashes, maybe even earlier, where we just leave too much up to the bowlers. The bowlers shouldn't have to carry the pail with the bat. Okay, we're lucky that our bowlers are all very handy with the bat, even down to Hazelwood now is quite competent with the bat. But we can't keep leaving it up to them. It's just not fair. Yeah, so true. I mean, if you look at the first innings, yeah, I mean, we had we had a couple of starts. You mentioned Matty Wade. He had a 30 and Labashane had a 48, 38 for head. But then you go down and it's Nathan Lyon with a 20. Yeah. That was the that was the next high score. And then in the second dig, Pat Cummins had a 22, which was, you know, one of the higher scores. And Mitchell Stark actually played a, a really unstark-like uh, sort of innings, I guess, with 14 off 56. He wasn't really going after them, but... It was, uh, yeah, just as, as I've, I've got written down here as well, too much pressure put on the tail. And Cam Green was our top scorer, a 21-year-old all-rounder in his second test. So we, yeah. were, we were just doomed. It's now looking advantage India. And by the way, no Virat Kohli, no Rohit Sharma. This has been a very impressive second test. Hats off to them. Oh, definitely. Hats off to them on, on all accounts. I mean, if you look at it, it's not just the guys that came in and, and sort of like the Shubman Gills of the world that, that came in. You've also got to give a lot of credit to some of the bowlers, like Mohamed Siraj, I thought bowled absolutely beautifully. And we'll On sort debut, of talk, I guess. yeah. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. I thought he was he was absolutely magnificent. Um, Ravi Jardeja, I mean, he wasn't sort of so much a new player coming in, but he had that that really nice 57 in the first innings that, that kind of bolstered their score quite a oh, bit as, as we started getting through them. So Yeah, he's so handy with the back. And and I tell you what, I, I talked about Rishabh Pant. He, again, I mean, 29's not a massive score, but it's still enough, those little 29s and 30s. I mean, if everyone made 30, you'd make 300, which is, a, you know, a very competitive score. So, And if you're playing patiently and tiring out the Aussie bowlers and that sort of thing, yeah, it's very handy runs. So, yeah, as you mentioned, the Aussies have batted three full innings and a half innings so far and haven't made it past 200 yet, which is just disgraceful, really. Well, it's almost unheard of. It's very concerning, very concerning. And speaking of concerning... Seven dropped catches, very uncharacteristic from the Australian team. Yeah, I think I heard there was at least one on every day of the test, which I dare say that probably hasn't happened in a very, very long time. And it's something that we obviously hang our hat on is being the best fielding team in the entire world, if, if yep. not the best, one of the top two or three. Absolutely. And, and seeing guys like Steve Smith drop ones in the slips that they would be taking, you know, 10 times out of 10 usually. I think Marnus Labuschagne had a, a bit of a dolly to him at leg slip. Even Mitchell Stark today dropped one in the outfield, a, a running catch that isn't easy, but he would take that 
a very very high percentage of the time and, and drop that so and Travis yeah, head just... dropped one like he he had both hands firmly on it it's still I still don't know how the hell it popped out but it was that old elbow hits the ground and it pops out but mm. yeah yeah not good and at bad times too often yeah well that was a that was quite crucial that one if, if I remember correctly that was that was, oh, was the, on the yeah. on no, it was Rahani. No, it was Rahani. Sorry, Rahani on the last right. ball of the day before the rain and those horrible winds came, where the poor ground That's staff true. were being dragged all oh. over the Mate, all over that, the field. That bloke, that bloke that held on, he is an absolute superstar. That was a good effort. It was a good effort. How he managed that? He so. held on better than Travis Head. That's for sure. So I must say, it, it, this is kind of a complete reversal of that question I asked you last week, where I said, "What's worse, the batting or the fielding?" And I dare say it's the same response: the fielding could be even worse. Yeah, I don't know. The, the batting is a real long... I, I see the fielding as an anomaly. I don't think that will continue to happen, but I see the batting as more of a long-term issue and it, it's a real concern. Like I say, we can't just keep leaving it to Smith and Warner all the time because it just exposes us far too much and the poor bowlers. So true. I suppose we've got to talk about this whole DRS and third umpire business that's going on. Um, oh, yes. a couple of A couple of pretty key instances that come to mind i mean the manus labashane lbw on day one yeah i'm not sure it possibly would have risen quite as much as drs said it would there have been a lot of really really funny tweets out there sort of saying that that uh, drs was still drunk from christmas and all of that sort of stuff but um you know labashane looked like he reviewed that one in desperation and it very very fortunately went over and gave him a second chance but I think the big one is probably the run out situation. So you've got the Tim Payne run out from the from the first dig. Yeah. And then you had the Ajinka Rahane run out in the first innings for India, which looked very, very similar, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, I thought Payne was out live. It was very, very close. They almost needed a frame between the two frames to work out when the bail was fully dislodged, didn't they? I think you've almost yeah. got to give the batsman the benefit of the doubt in that situation, but they weren't necessarily consistent with their application, were they? Yeah, I actually think both of them were out personally. Yeah, but probably right, give, actually. If, yeah. yeah, if you're going to set the precedent and give Tim Payne not out, then you've got to give Rahane not out as well. So, yeah, I, I don't know necessarily how I feel about those. And then the the other thing as well, which has come up, was the Sachin Tendulkar talk about how the DRS system is flawed. And it's something that I've mentioned before. This whole umpire's decision rubbish. Yeah, why does it even exist? It's time to get rid of the umpire's call. Well, exactly. If uh, I've said this before, if they're sending it upstairs, it's saying we don't think what you have adjudged is correct. We want the computer to tell us that. And like in tennis, if a millimeter of the ball is touching the outside of the line in tennis, they trust the technology and they say it may be an imperfect science, but it's the best that we've got, and mm. the, the ball is in. Same could be here. If there's a tiny little clip of of one of the one of the stumps, I mean, the ball's coming at a hundred plus kilometers an hour it's going to take the bail off most of the time. And certainly a, a lot more than 99% of the time oh, it's yeah, going to take yeah, the bail off. Yeah, so you've yeah. just got to, you've got to trust it. Yeah, to especially trust pace it. bowlers. Absolutely. Oh, that's it. I mean, I, I even sort of saying like that. Yeah, I mean, you can't, I mean, even even if it, 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 it's very rare that the stumps get hit and the bail doesn't become dislodged. You've got to assume yeah. that every time it's going to hit, it will, it will dislodge. Now, I suppose that brings us to the the, the big talking point, selection. Yes. What are we doing? What do we do, Nath? Well, the general school of thought is get Burns out, also get Head out of there too, and bring in Pukowski and Warner, hoping that they're both fit. 
I don't disagree with that at all. I'd, I'd move Wade back to six and put Green down to seven, and then everything else stays the same. Yeah, that balances the team nicely. I just I just wonder, given Pukowski's head injury history and concussion history, that maybe we should hold him off for this series and maybe Marcus Harris comes back in with Warner or even the zombie of Sean Marsh, as you brought, brought up last week. I would say if Pukowski stays out, you'd probably just persist with head. Um, and un- unfortunately... Yeah, Pukowski could probably use a new head, so maybe you can take Travis Head's head. <laughs> I look, as uh. I say, I'm I'm a firm believer that if Pukowski thinks he's ready to go and the doctors have cleared him, you've, you've just got to pull the bandaid off and and go for it. Yeah, I tend to I tend to probably head in that direction too. If if the doctors have cleared him, get him in there with Warner, and let's hope they can't. Well, they can't do much worse, can they? Really? No, no. you wouldn't think so. Watch him, watch him get out for a pair. In the, in yeah, well, uh, he will be he will be on debut. We've got to cut him a bit of slack. And then I guess, Julie, there's a bit of BPL to discuss quickly as well. Yeah, there's been a lot, but probably one of the more interesting scheduling decisions, which I have to say I really love, was the decision to put the two Sydney versus Melbourne matches on Boxing Day as a double header. So the first match between the Stars and the Sixers probably goes down as the match of the tournament, certainly so far, and I, I think it'll be hard to beat. Glenn Maxwell and Nicholas Poran had a 125-run partnership of just 58 balls. Like the Stars had a shocker of a start, and it didn't look like they were going to go much past maybe 140, 150, and they ended up at five for 193. So really great effort by those guys. Things weren't really going that well for the Sixers. They needed 39 or 15 to win, but then Daniel Hughes just went ballistic, 4-6-6 to give them hope. Oh, it's great. Then, then Ben Dwarsh just bowled a ripper of an over. He took two wickets for just three runs, and the Sixers needed 20 off the last over. But the big thing, Nathan Coulton-Isle, who would have probably bowled it, had been off the ground and he'd been off for too long. So even though you know, he wanted to come back and bowl, he wasn't allowed to. And I think he now, had two wickets at that stage. He was, he was like two for 12 yeah, or something, two, wasn't he? Two, two for 14 off three, two, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he had good figures. Beautifully. Yeah. yeah. Now, even though they had Zahir Khan with an over left, Glenn Maxwell decided he'd bowl himself and it absolutely backfired royally. Sure did. So Hughes has gone 6-4-6 six, six to start the over off. And then, unfortunately, he's holed out for 96, and the Sixers still don't have a standing yeah, in BBL yeah. victory. <laughs> Which was the... They just cursed there. It's immediately what I thought of when I was watching the yeah the, the extended highlights. Crazy. And then Maxwell's bowled an absolute pie with the fifth ball. It's gone for four-leg buys. Down and, leg, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Crazy. And the game's over. Absolutely yep. extraordinary comeback. So, it really was. Yeah, that was a cracker of a game. And there was... I mean, there was no way the Renegades and Thunder match was going to beat that, but Jesus, it was ugly. Like... Kawaja, Hales, and Ferguson all made quick fire 30s. Oliver Davies made 48. And Nathan McAndrew had 20 of the 22 runs off the last over. And the Thunder made 209. The Renegades tried to sort of chase the bash boost. And yeah. they were all out for 80 off 12.2 overs. Yeah, what a success disgusting. that's been, hey? Just as I like predicted. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other really sort of cool games that we could talk about. But those were kind of, you know, the like the pick of the bunch and the absolute pile of crap. <laughs> but it frustrates me that we've got to talk about shit like the, the bash boost. And yet we don't see the need for, I don't know, DRS. Mm. And by the way, the, the umpires in the BBL have had a shocker. In that Sixers match, the umpire put up his finger when someone was caught off a free hit. And he also didn't give out one of the most plumber LBs I've ever seen in my life. So they're having a bit of a shocker all around the umpiring stakes in their BBL. Well, I mean, I've seen at least four of the biggest howlers I can remember in just the last week. Yeah. So 
it, it probably all came to a head in the Perth Scorchers and Adelaide Strikers game. So you had Jai Richardson absolutely smash Rashid Khan on the pads about two inches in front of the stumps. It was hitting in line with middle and leg and it's given not out. And then four balls later, Matthew Short's given out LBW on a ball from Richardson that was glanced fine for four. It didn't even touch the pads. I didn't say so those. Yeah, that's, yeah. Those, wow. those two howlers are where the DRS would come in handy. Yeah. We also saw Usman Kawaja edged one behind in the Scorchers and Sydney Thunder game. That was given not out because the umpire thought the, the bat had hit the pitch, even though the bat was about a foot off the ground. And then Tommy Cooper was given out LBW to Danny Briggs in the Strikers and Brisbane Heat game even though Cooper's absolutely smashed the ball down onto his pad, surely we can get rid of this bullshit 10 over timeout and allow teams even one DRS appeal. Surely. Like, at what point do they say enough is enough? I mean, this is going to cost a team in a big final and the, the whole tournament then is called into question. It, it just, it can't keep happening. Yeah, the BBL, it's been a really, really decent format so far. I mean, okay, some of these new rules aren't particularly great, but the quality of cricket's been not too bad. And unfortunately, these are the sorts of things that are, that are ruining it, really. So, you know, hopefully uh, we don't have any more of these to talk about over the coming weeks. Indeed. Now, we had the ICC Awards of the Decade with Virat Kohli winning the Sir Garfield Sobers Award for ICC Male Cricketer of the Decade. And Elise Perry won the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Award for the ICC Female Cricketer of the Decade. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, obviously, Elise Perry, you can't argue with at all. And Virat Kohli, him or Smith, either make very strong cases. 1A, 1B, aren't they, really? So, Yeah, I'd, I'd say Smith probably gets the nod in the test and Kohli gets the nods in the, the, the one-dayers and the, the T20s. So, yeah, and indeed, I've, I've no Smith got that award as well for best male test player. So, yeah, no I've arguments. I've got no problems with that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And now, this week in sport history. December 30th, 1934, the New York Rangers and Boston Bruins battle out a nil-nil tie. The first of a 37-game overtime undefeated streak for the Bruins, the longest in NHL history. This is a streak that spans over four years and includes 27 ties. What an amazing record. Very impressive. December 31st, 1967, the coldest game in NFL history takes place with the NFL championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys at Lambeau Field in Green Bay. The Packers would beat the Cowboys 21 17 in a game dubbed as the Ice Bowl, where temperatures reached as low as minus 13 Fahrenheit with a wind chill of minus 48 Fahrenheit. Jeez. There's probably some idiot standing up in the in the crowd in nothing but you know a pair of shorts and a, <laughs> like a big the cheese, big, Yeah, and a big cheese <laughs> head on the top. You can just imagine it. You sure can. January 1st, 1910, England cricket underhand bowler George Simpson Hayward takes six for 43 on debut with underarm lobs in the first test against South Africa in Johannesburg, which South Africa win by 19 runs. Trevor Chappell who? Mm, yes, exactly. We're the cheats, yeah. <laughs> that was 1910, though, compared to much <laughs> later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also January 1st, this time 1967, the second day's play in Calcutta for the second test between India and the West Indies is cancelled due to riots. About 20,000 more tickets were sold than there was capacity in the stadium. So when ticket holders were denied entry, police became involved and trouble was a brewing. There were fires in the stands, there was pitch damage. The Windies would eventually win by 45 runs. Yeah, unfortunately, you tend to find that Calcutta is one of those stadiums where this does happen. In 1996, there was actually a, a pretty uh, pretty famous issue during the, I think it was the semi-final of the Cricket World Cup where India just started losing wickets left, right and centre and next thing you know, there's a fire in the stands. So they, they seem to be pyros in Calcutta, which is uh, not, not good. 
Well, they shouldn't be selling way more tickets than there are seats, so should they? Very true. January 2nd, 1865, welterweight Con Oram and heavyweight Hugh O'Neill brawl for 185 rounds before <laughs> darkness ends in the legendary bare-knuckle boxing match in Virginia City, Montana. Crazy. Now, I actually did a little bit of research uh, in terms of looking at, at what this was all about. And 185 rounds were actually over 185 minutes. So it doesn't actually end up being quite as bad as it would be if there was 185 rounds today. But there was actually a rule back then where if somebody basically fell over, that was the end of the round. So if somebody was getting tired or they felt like they were in a bit of trouble, they would just fall over and that was it. So there were quite a few rounds that only went for a few seconds, which obviously is not particularly great. And towards the end, I mean, the guys could barely even stand up. So yeah. <laughs> so this this was a just a crazy, crazy match. And in the end, they actually they ended up just splitting the, uh, the, the total purse for the match. Don't you love the evolution of sport all the way back to 1865? Then finally, January 3rd, 1993, the comeback. Quarterback Frank Reich, and now coach of my Indianapolis Colts, led the Buffalo Bills back from a 32-point deficit to defeat the Houston Oilers 41-38 in an overtime wildcard game, the greatest comeback ever in NFL history. This week in sport history. All right, Stewie, time to talk about your favourite thing to talk about, NBA basketball. The Kabaddi World Cup. Oh, no, sorry. Yes, you're right. No, the basketball. You're right. Uh, one, of, one of these days, the Kabaddi World Cup will be on, and I'll be very excited about that. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, crazy to think. Just 72 days between the end of the NBA Finals and the start of the new season, which just happened this week. It couldn't have come quick enough, in my opinion, actually. There's, there's already been so much to talk about. So Well, it's also, I mean, Shui, it, 72 days. Like, it doesn't feel that long, does it? That's quite a long – that's no. a decent break. Oh, you tell that to the NBA players. I think they disagree. <laughs> well, well, to the non-bubble teams and the teams that didn't get to the finals, they've had a decent break. Yeah, true. That was about 287 days, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But yeah, we've got a lot to talk about already. I mean, we've obviously got to start off with one of the stories from last week, which is the whole bullshit around James <sighs> Harden not getting suspended. Yeah. Another blatant disregard of COVID protocols because, quote, it's Christmas. Mm. So Commissioner Adam Silver has said, in a way, he got lucky. The precedent is that discipline gets ratcheted up. It's Christmas. It was a first offence. Was it though, Nate? Jeez, that's very generous, isn't it? Very generous. And I don't know. You could say that he's bringing the game into disrepute a little. I, I don't think it's just your normal kind of trade demand, is it? It's 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 that on steroids. So I think James Harden is very, very lucky. Very lucky. Well, if, if you look at the direct repercussions of it, the Houston versus OKC game was postponed. Yep. And then six of the Rockets players couldn't play in their first game, which was a loss to Portland as well. So yep. once again, it's all about James. Yeah, all about James. Do you think that we'd have more patience for this in other years and it's just because of COVID that, that we're more pissed off about it? Or do you think, I mean, I know my answer to this question, but anyway. Well, I mean, it's it's got to be the fact that COVID is a factor. I mean, it's such a, a huge factor in everything that happens in every part of everyday life for people over in America right now. I mean, yeah, just I, I just don't see how you can be so blasé about it, going to parties and going out to yeah. strip clubs or whatever he wants to call it without a mask. It just yeah. makes no sense. Yep, you're putting everyone so. in danger, including your players, your coaching staff. Uh, speaking of coaching staff, by the way, I noticed that Pop is now the oldest coach in NBA history as of this yeah, season. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, you're putting others in danger, even if you yourself aren't, you know. But look, even if it wasn't COVID, I think what he's doing is really egregious. 
you're earning what 40 odd million a season like actually yep. play the fucking games if you don't want to play for the team okay fine but show a modicum of professionalism jeez mm. yep no exactly right Moving on, we've got Malik Beasley as well. We've spoken about him before, but uh, but yeah, we've we've got a little bit of an update on his situation. So it's been revealed that he's pleaded guilty to threats of violence from a September incident where he pointed an assault rifle at a couple and their 13-year-old daughter who were basically taking part in one of those parade of homes tours. Apparently, he won't serve more than 120 days and any punishment will take place after the 2020-2021 mm. season. Why after the season? Yeah. I agree. Why? Why after? Like All I can think. Someone? Do they? Do they let him play out the season and then charge him with murder? Or like what? what I don't understand. Yeah. Well, all I can think is that it is it is it because he hasn't been officially found guilty in the courts yet? Maybe, but that's the only good reason I can think. But look, what I wanted to do is kind of have a bit of a fun look at the first week and kind of have a, a bit of a look at who's hot and who's not so far. There's obviously been a, a fair few games that have been played. Some teams have only played a couple of games. Other teams have played four. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to, to look at yeah who's doing well and who's not. So, obviously, starting off with who's hot, the first thing I thought of immediately is the shit teams. Well, I was going to say all of Perth is pretty bloody hot at the moment, but uh, well, yeah. yes, that's very, very true. But like, but what the hell sort of odds would you have had nearly a week into the season? The last team in the West to lose their first game would be my Oklahoma City Thunder. We can probably thank James Harden for that, though, as we'd only played one game against the Hornets before everyone else had lost. And for the record, I'm kind of pissed that we didn't. Yeah, that's you know, <laughs> the one season to, you don't want to win. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to tank and we can't even do that properly. I was actually kind of thankful that Gilgis Alexander missed a game winner against Utah today, but. But then if you go to the East, the only undefeated teams in the East are Cleveland, Orlando, Indiana, and Atlanta, all at three and zero. Yeah. Orlando like, seem to start teams. well every year, don't they? It, it always feels like Orlando start well and then turn to shit. Do you know what's funny? They're actually the one out of the four that I don't give much credit to because they beat Washington twice. I mean, they did beat Miami, but they've, they beat Washington twice who are going to be probably horrible this year. I don't know. So, well, well, yeah, I guess maybe they will. I, I thought they'd be a borderline playoff team, but uh, maybe not. Uh, I mean, it's Westbrook and Beal and then a whole bunch of... Oh, Bertans hit, Bertans yeah. hit three threes in a minute the other day, which was pretty impressive. Yeah, Steph Curry hit 105 in five. So, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't in a game situation. No, I know, I know. But look, <laughs> look, Washington will Washington will be okay. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Wins over them maybe aren't as in, as incredible. But hmm. but no, there's uh, there's there's a few things I'd say about that. I mean, obviously, all four of them will probably fall back to earth pretty quickly. But well, except maybe Indiana, obviously. But Demarcus Sabonis, man, he is a beast. Oh, right he now. was that first game. Those stats huge. Yeah. Well, he, he was an All Star like- last year. But he looks like he's bulked up over the over the offseason. His his guns look even bigger. So yeah, very, very interesting. Indiana actually became the first team in 22 years with multiple 18-0 or more runs in the same game when they smashed Chicago. Um, there have been some other really cool things about those teams. Trey Young set a record for the most points scored on 12 or fewer field goal attempts when he put 37 on the Bulls. Mm. Everyone seems to be kind of mad in the Bulls, unfortunately. Um, and it's also the first time a Cleveland team without LeBron James has started 3-0 and since 2000-2001. So a really good start for those Yeah, teams. well, they're not good on paper, so that is impressive. It is, it is. And then on top of that, you've got the Pelicans, the Timberwolves, the Kings, and your Spurs all 2-1. and one. So some of the okay teams have actually started really well as well. So, you know, really good to, good to see some different teams at the top. And if we had Derek White playing, we might be 3-0. You could be, or you could be two and one still. Who knows? Revolving doors. <laughs> it could be one and two. 
you could be 0 17 already. Who knows? <laughs> Moving on though to uh, to one of our favourites, Gordon Hayward. Hey, the, uh, the the finger injury didn't keep him out. This almost yeah. takes me back to the right on cue segment we did a while back, and we spoke about him being made of glass. And he's uh, right on cue. He's opened the season really well. He sure has. I mean, 22.7 points a game, 54% from the field, seven assists, nearly five rebounds. Hopefully he see. can maintain this. Yeah, yeah the guy deserves yeah. a break. He really he does. does. And not a break. Not, a, not break a broken arm. Or... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah no, maybe he, really he doesn't does. deserve a break. <laughs> yeah, he deserves everything but a break. Yeah. Yes, yes. Who else is hot? Sergio Barker's elbow. <laughs> yes, my Chris- Christmas schadenfreude was when I saw Kawhi as I mentioned at the top there, that friendly fire, he copped a pretty nasty elbow from Serge, his new teammate. Yeah, lying on a, a pool of his own blood on the floor. Yeah, I mean, look, it, you, we shouldn't laugh at other people's misfortune, but uh, Kawhi Leonard's probably someone who, in your view, deserves a decent elbow to the face. Oh, well, he's a dick, disperse, isn't he? So. Yeah, no, he does. Yeah, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a dickhead. We talk about James Harden, you know, he wasn't that bad, but he was close enough. Mm, very true. Miles Turner. Miles ah, yes, Indiana. the man the man that gets pilloried on uh, podcasts around the world for his contract. Yep. Three games in, Miles Turner has had four or more blocks in every game, including eight against the Knicks opening night. So he started <laughs> off very, very well defensively. He must be listening to the doubters. Yeah, well, that's uh, whatever he's doing, he, he needs to keep doing it. I mean, he's not needing the offensive game as much as he used to because Sabonis and Oladipo and TJ Warren are handling that. But if you've got a defensive anchor like him... Jeez, it makes Indiana a lot trickier to beat. And I noticed TJ only had five points in the first game back after being super red hot in the bubble. Yeah, you have to imagine he'll kind of recede a little bit. Yeah. Or uh, maybe regress to the mean, so to speak. But yeah. I think he had a pretty pretty decent game the other day. I think he had somewhere around about the 20-point mark. So I don't really imagine he's going to have too many of those five-point games. You'd, you'd have to imagine he'll sort of end up more around the 15-point-a-game mark. And then the last person in the, the who is hot is LeBron James. I mean, the, the Lakers aren't doing amazingly. They're sitting at two and two. But speaking about his longevity like we always do, he's actually extended his streak of consecutive games with 10 or more points to 999 today. So close. Yeah. You'd have to imagine unless he's injured, he'll break that in a couple of days' time. So yeah. he's a long way ahead of Jordan and Kareem on that all-time list. So... Not a bad start for a guy who's playing on 72-day turnaround after the uh, after the final series. So he's done incredibly well. And speaking of the Lakers, I saw Anthony Davis was cutting his toenails on the bench in the preseason. That was pretty bloody gross. Yeah, he probably should be on the who is not for that. It's <laughs> <That was> utterly, <laughs> utterly hideous. But yeah, no, I suppose they've got to do it somewhere. He's not going to go all the way back to the locker room to do that. So apparently, he started playing better afterwards. So I guess it was was good uh, a good decision. Now, Stewie, time for the cold. Yeah, there's there's a few. I mean, the Denver Nuggets uh, are probably one I'd start with. Pretty hideous starts of the year for them. Real heartbreaker on open night. I mean, they had that turnover on the last play, which ended up in a Buddy Hill tip-in after Harrison Barnes had his dunk blocked. Yeah, that was crazy. That was a, a really, really cool end, end of a game. But the Clippers handled them really, really easily in the second game. You can see how much they're missing Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley. Look. Give them time, obviously. I mean, they had a win today against the Rockets, but that team was playing without John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, and Eric Gordon. So mm. I'm still a bit iffy on their depth now that they've got rid of all of those players. And now having seen them in action, I'm very iffy on those alternate jerseys. They looked like they were wearing the Utah alternate orange and red jerseys. Yeah. They looked absolutely terrible. 
It's the Utah's alternate, alternate, basically. Oh, it's so yeah. confusing. Like Then there was the other one. Who was it? Another team was wearing the blue that looked like the Dallas Mavericks. It's so confusing for the casual fan. It's crazy. Mm. So we could probably add the jerseys to the one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, my second one, sorry to everyone who loves him, but LaMelo Ball, in particular, his first game. Like, I don't want to play the I told you so card, but far out, I want to play it. I'll I'll play my Facebook comment from six years ago. Too early for I told you so's after one game. We'll see at the end of the season. Yes, we will. He had an absolutely horrendous opener to his NBA career. Zero points on 0 of 5 from the field. Three turnovers in a loss to Cleveland. He owns a very, very short list of guys in the past 15 years. So you've got Otto Porter Jr., Hashim Thabit, and Greg Oden as top three picks to go scoreless in their first game. Mm. But he played more minutes, he missed more shots, and had more turnovers than the other three. Not a great list to be on. They were busts. Well, Otto Porter still has a chance, but yeah, the beat. Oh, yeah, Oden, sorry. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking very, of big guys. Much bust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those, those two in particular. For the record, there are some other guys since 2000 that have had the donut. Darko Milicic, no real surprise there. He played yeah, another bust. Seconds in his first game. Yep. Mike Dunleavy Jr., he had a serviceable career, but uh, he, he didn't have a great first game. Stromile Swift, who another bust. probably put in the in the bus, in yep, the bus sort of pile. And another bust, Yao Ming. <laughs> okay, that one not. That one not so much. But no, it's surprising to see that Yao had a, a donut in his first game. But going back to LaMelo, I mean, he had a good game against the Thunder, but he was only okay against Brooklyn. I'm, I'm just, I think there's going to be too many of these up and downs where he goes you know, three for 13, has a handful of turnovers, like was mentioned on uh, on the Bill Simmons podcast. And yeah, I, I can see, I can still see him having a pretty average rookie season. Oh, look, yeah, he's young. There'll be a lot of teething pain. Sometimes the teething is short-term pain for long-term gain. You know, they hand them the keys early and be all the better for it next season. But uh, yeah, time will tell. Time will tell. Real quick one, Marcus Smart's hair. <laughs> Yeah, he's had cleaning. quite a few. Yeah, he's had quite a few, uh, quite a few haircuts over the years. But his hair against the Nets, it looked like a black hair drone had basically landed <laughs> on his head. Like it sort of had the four corners kind of popping out there. It just looked hideous. So yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that. Um, enough said on that. Mm. Moving on, the Golden State Warriors, and in particular Andrew Wiggins. So looking at the team, they lost their first two games by a combined 65 points, which is the second most in NBA history through two games. Yeah. Failing only the 87-88 LA Clippers, who went 17-65 and 65 that year. So not a great start. Ouch. Also, their 39-point loss to Milwaukee on Christmas Day was the largest Christmas Day loss since the Syracuse Nationals beat the New York Knicks 162-100 to 100 in 1960. Mm. So double yikes. In that game, actually, nine of the 10 national players had double figures and a guy named Swede Halbrook, the only guy who didn't finish with nine points. So really, really good. Um, the Warriors are actually also only the fourth team in NBA history to lose their opening two games by at least 25 points. The last team to do it was also the Warriors in 89-90. And that was a team that started the all-time great UA Blab at center. <laughs> Speaking of center, though, James Wiseman has looked good. I saw, granted, it was in that big loss to the Nets, but I saw him have seven points in about a minute. He hit a three and two long jumpers. So not surprisingly, as far as we're concerned, we are absolutely massive fans of his. And the Chris Bosch comparisons are probably accurate. But uh, yeah, that is the shining light for the Warriors, I guess. 
Definitely, definitely. And look, the Warriors did have a, a good bounce back with a game winner in Chicago by Damian Lee, but it is Chicago. So yeah, everyone's beating up on them, aren't they? But then looking more specifically at Andrew Wiggins, like, is he the most overrated trash in the league right now? Well, he's on 29 and a half mil, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a pretty sizable contract. It is. So he had 13 points on four of 16 from the field with four turnovers in the first game, 12 points on six of 18 on Christmas Day. He did have 19 and nine against the Bulls, but he was still only six of 15 from the field and four of 12 from inside the arc. He's got to be better than that. Mm. You know, without Clay Thompson, he is legitimately the second option on that team. And for him to be shooting such a poor percentage from the field every night, that's not going to cut it. Well, and I don't think Draymond's back yet either, is he? So they need him even more in that time. They really do. They really do. Moving on, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, for the first half of the week, I had these guys in the Who's Hot pile. They were two from two. They smashed Golden State overnight. They handled the Celtics pretty comfortably. And they were the first team since the 08-09 Lakers to win their first two games by more than 20. Who won the title in 08-09, mate? Ah, the Lakers. Exactly. So, you know, that's when it's all looking good. KD played his first proper game in 571 days and looked like he hadn't missed a beat. Kyrie Irving was amazing early on as well. And then supporting cast were on fire. But then they dropped a gimme against the Charlotte Hornets. Kyrie and KD sat out the second night of a back-to-back as they lost to Memphis. And Memphis without Jar Morant for most of the game. We'll speak about that in a minute. And then injury to insults, Stewie. Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, he's confirmed partial ACL tear in his right knee. He's scheduled for surgery. So things are looking a bit shaky. I mean, it's early. I'm not too concerned, but just not an amazing start for a team that has visions of the finals. Yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But uh, yeah, you're right. Early concerns. And I know just to finish off the the not pile, someone I know you're pretty keen to tee off on is the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, look, I think long-term, there's a lot of optimism. They do have some really good young pieces, but I did fully expect them to regress a little this year because their bench is terrible. They've got a really great starting five, but their bench, it really is very average. And unless their starters are playing 40 minutes a game plus... They are going to struggle a bit this year. I was amazed to see on the over-unders that they were above several teams that I would not have put them above this season. But yeah, not a not a great start at all. 0-2 to start things off against the Pelicans and the Spurs, who are two teams that they would expect to finish above in, in any sort of standings. Pascal Siakam's been decent, but if you look at him, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, and OG Ananobi, they're all shooting between 40 and 44% from the field. Norm Powell's sitting at 12% after a couple of games. Again, not a huge sample size, but they're just shooting too many threes. They're not getting to the free throw line. They're giving up way too much easy stuff on defense. They don't have an easy run coming up. They've got Philly tomorrow away. Then they've got the Knicks. They're at New Orleans. They've got Boston at home. And then they've got four away games in six nights. Phoenix, Sacramento, Golden State. Oh, brutal. That's brutal. And by the way, Kyle Lowry's 34. He should be starting to play less minutes, not more. So, yeah, maybe some concerns in Toronto for this season. Yeah, I think we'll know a lot about where they are by the end of January. Yeah, I think that's fair. Definitely. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of people that are hot and a lot of people that are not right now. So we'll kind of you know keep an eye on that as the season goes by. Just a couple of other quick talking points before we round out the uh, the episode. But firstly, obviously, Ja Morant. I mean, he was looking absolutely amazing to start the year. He was obviously the focal point of the offense without Jaron Jackson Jr. He dropped 28 on the Hawks and 44 on the Spurs. 
But geez, he's had a pretty nasty looking ankle injury against Brooklyn. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? And as you say, Jaron Jackson's out. So in a very stacked West, you if you lose pace early, your season's probably done playoff-wise. So it's not good news for Grizzlies fans and maybe not a good uh, outlook for them either. I mean, it could be a blessing in disguise. It could force them to tank. I actually didn't like their roster anyway, so I think them tanking is not a bad idea, but... But yeah, obviously seeing him being taken away in a wheelchair is not a good look at all. So yeah, we'll keep the fingers crossed for Jar, but yeah, not looking great. Yeah, not a Paul Pierce wheelchair either. No, exactly right. And we've obviously just got to quickly close off with one of the craziest, craziest games of the season so far. The Clippers and Mavs game. Now, I very, very brashly said last season that I believe that the, that the Clippers would have been beaten by the Mavs had Chris Tapps Porzingis played. Jeez, I'll tell you what, the Mavs didn't half show what they're made of. The the biggest halftime lead in the history of the NBA. So they, they led 36-13 at quarter time and extended that lead out to 77-27. At oh, that. it's unheard of. You'd almost think it was a misprint. It's crazy. Well, I, I kind of did it first. Oh, so unbelievable. They, they went on to win the game by 51 points after they lost their first two games of the season. And I did a bit of digging. I thought to myself, I wonder if a team's ever won by 50 or more points after losing more than one game. Surprisingly, this was the ninth time in NBA history a team's lost multiple games and then won their next game by 50 or more. But more interestingly, it's only the second time in NBA history that one of those teams that won their game by 50 or more did so on their opposition's court. Now, the other one was the Chicago Bulls who beat the Bucks by 54 after losing two straight in the first round of the 2015 playoffs. I actually remember a 20-year-old Giannis in his second season getting ejected from that game. He hip and shouldered Mike Dunleavy Jr. after he hit a three. How crazy is that? Two Mike Dunleavy Jr. references in the uh, in the same episode. Never yeah. thought that would happen. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but going back to this, this game, my favorite moment of the game, Luka Doncic scoring a layup and being fouled, and you can hear Josh Richardson very audibly yell, Fucking world! Yeah, weren't they happy? They were very happy. I love that. Sweet revenge. Honestly, you'd think the Mavs think they could have beaten the Clips last year. I think they do. So, oh yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the Mavs didn't do anything that special. They were under fifty percent from the field. They were thirty-four percent from three. I mean, they dominated the glass fifty-four to thirty-six. But the Clippers were just hideous. Like four from thirty-three from deep, one of nineteen from the starters, and the Mavs only committed six turnovers for the game. So. You know, there were a couple of little things that kind of added up. But, yeah, the Mavs just played a solid game and the Clippers stunk it up, really. Now, it's got to be said that Kawhi did miss that game after that friendly fire from Serge. So, you know, with without your best player, if ever you're going to lose by 50-odd, it will be without your best player. Very true. Very and true. your best defensive just, player, too. Yeah, that's true. It'll be very interesting to see how long he's out for because that will definitely hurt the Clippers' seeding, too. It's hard to know. I mean, he should really be back by now. He's had the stitches. Put a mouth guard in and play on. If I was getting paid that much money, I would. But anyway, Um, random side stat as well, just to kind of finish this off. While I was looking through some of those games, the the 50-point wins, I actually saw that in the 75-76 season, the Chicago Bulls played the Portland Trailblazers five times. I think this is when the Bulls were in the Western Conference. The Bulls lost four of the five encounters, but their one win was by 56 points. Yeah. Bizarre. Isn't that it, crazy? How can you lose to a team four times and then beat them once by 56? I don't know. You, all you can think is injuries played a part, maybe for both teams. But yeah, at one stage or another. Yeah. 
All right, Stewie, we've reached the end of our final show of 2020. What are you amped for? I mean, it's certainly hard to go past the test debut of Will Pukowski and the return of Dave Warner in the third test between Australia and India. Fingers crossed. And I guess maybe the hope that the Scorchers might actually win a game this year. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, most, most of the WA's best players are in other teams, aren't they? So we won't hold our breath on that one. How about yourself, mate? Well, I'm, I'm stoked. I was looking through the schedule and saw that the Lakers Spurs game's on ESPN on Saturday. So I'll get to see my Colts and my Spurs twice in the same week. Until next week and indeed next year, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.